Hey guys, welcome to Calvary HSM. We are a place where we want to make disciples who live and love like Jesus. So we hope you enjoy this podcast. Uh, we're going to kick things off in just a second. We got some great questions from you guys uh, that we want to uh, move through. But before we do, uh, in just a second, I'm going to have every man on this panel uh, introduce themselves. Uh, tell you a little bit, something about them. I don't know, favorite cereal, best, whatever. Um, it's going to be good. But before we do, uh, I just want to kind of put a, make an overarching statement and say, um, yes, this is the panel uh, where we're going over the questions we collected during dating, kissing, sex, and stuff. Some, some of the questions, not all the questions are about sex. A lot of them are. Um, and some questions range everywhere from just like practical to like, what, how do I think deeply about this thing? And so um, as we're entering into a conversation, sin is definitely going to be a recurring topic. And so I just want to preface by saying when we enter space, have a conversation about sin, it's important for us to, to remember and to hold in mind um, that what the Bible tells us is that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so, so the goal is not that you leave here feeling ashamed or feeling like you're questioning um, if God loves you, uh, if you have a place with him in eternity. Like that's not the goal. The Bible Bible's pretty deliberate about that. Uh, at the same time, uh, while we don't want to invite shame, we do want to make space for conviction. There might be some things where you're like, I need to reorganize my thinking about this thing. And that's a totally healthy thing for us to enter into. And so shame is not the goal. Conviction is something that maybe you can expect, but that's between the Holy Spirit and you. Uh, but we just want to have a thoughtful conversation about the things that you guys are going through, the things that you guys are contemplating as you head towards manhood, adulthood, uh, possibly relationships, marriage, all of that. Uh, and so we want to be a resource to you, share from our wisdom, our experiences, all of that. Uh, and so if I could ask Aaron, would you just cover tonight in prayer, and then we'll do some uh, introductions. Lord, thank you. Check one, two. There we go. Lord, thank you for um, this evening. Thank you that you've, provi- you've provided for us um, wisdom, wisdom in your word. Your word says that in this word, Lord God, that there is a provision for godliness and a way to live day-to-day life. So, Lord, what we ask uh, this evening is that you give us um, the ability to see that wisdom in your word. Give us the ability to receive that wisdom, Lord. Soften the hearts of the young men in this room to your will, to their purpose in you. Give the men on this platform an opportunity to humbly share these truths with mercy, with grace. Uh, And we ask for uh, your will this evening as hearts are opened to the gospel and who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. Why don't we start down at this end? Who are you? And tell us something about yeah. you. Uh, my name is JD Lasky. Woo! And, uh, actually, well, one thing uh, I actually grew up here at Calvary, so it's a privilege not just to be on the stage, but to get to experience ministry with you guys as you grow through this this part of life, and to see you guys grow into maturity and faith. Uh, I was once in high school at this at this church as well, and it's just been one of the greatest experiences and joys of my life. Not just to grow up in this church, but now to be a part of this church and see what God's doing and to be even in this space right now is overwhelmingly uh, awesome. So, thank you. Hey, um, I'm Joey. <laughs> what a chill introduction. Hey. Um, I'm a, huh? I'm good. How are you? Oh, you're so encouraging. Um, <laughs> yeah, I am a high school leader here. I lead high school small group. Yeah. yeah. Love our one guy. Whoever that was. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I'm here a lot. And I love Jesus. We're glad you are. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, my name is Aaron Kajumba. I serve here as a high school pastor. Um, and, yeah, married five years as of last week on Thursday. Congratulations. Um, 
Um, fairly flawed, uh, living by grace, learning as we go along, and I'm glad to be here with y'all. It was off. That's my bad. That's Just building me. suspense. My name is uh, Jacob, and I am uh, one of your worship leaders, and I'm recently engaged to someone who turned down NBA basketball players but said yes to me. So there's yeah. a little bit of race nice. there. That's a pretty great claim to fame. <laughs> I can't really follow that. Yeah, you can. Just kidding. Hi. I know you guys know me the least. This is my best friend. Uh, I, anyway. <laughs> Closer to your mic. Uh, Woo! That one's back on. Fantastic. I don't know if it's on or not. Doesn't matter. Um, grew up here since I was 10 and served as the middle school pastor for a while and then helped launch college ministry. JD and I are getting old as, as we realize that, but uh, I've done a lot of ministry together. But I've been married 23 years, have three girls. Uh, I was once engaged prior to that, though. And so I've, I've been through the struggle and the hurt and the pain and seen God redeem things in life. And uh, married to an amazing, amazing lady now, and uh, couldn't be more blessed. So I, I love the questions. I read them all. There's some tough questions in there, but they're all really good. So I'm really impressed with that, and I'm glad you guys are asking great questions tonight. Amen. Awesome. Well, uh, like everyone sort of pointed to, you guys ask really good questions. Uh, we were really impressed with kind of like the depth of what you guys were diving into, uh, the things that you're contemplating and thinking through. And so kind of, I'm going to, I'm going to hit you with a softball. No, this is big and heady. Uh, uh, somebody asked this, they said, uh, what is a man's role in a relationship? And then just like, what is a man's role uh, in general? What, how would you guys speak to that? Um, again, let me just say like, please, Keep in mind, we're people, you know, like our, we're, it works in progress. Uh, we are uh, learning and growing. So even if somebody like says something and then five minutes later is like, I'd like to amend what I just said, like, let's have grace for that. Um, but uh, yeah, what would, how would you guys speak to that? What is, as a man, what is the role that you're supposed to assume in a relationship and how do you kind of step into that? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, so I, I've... I think many of you guys are familiar with like the red pill movement. Anyone? Andrew Tate, um, Sneeko, all that stuff. So you're right. You guys already know, but the chuckles in the room. Um, that's a big that's movement no of like really random uh, extremists, what it means to be a man. Uh, some of those things we can take, some things we can't. But we know our definition of what it means to be a man comes from Genesis. We look at Adam. And so Adam is an imperfect person, but he's an example. The Bible calls him the first uh He's the first Adam, then Jesus becomes the second Adam, the perfect one. But the original way for us to be as men is to be a people who are in a relationship. We are supposed to be people who set the boundaries. Adam's role was to protect the garden and protect his wife, to be a person who leads, right, by example, lead by grace. In Ephesians 5, we learn, um, and I, I know we're talking about marriage, and the goal, of course, for us is not marriage. Marriage is not what leads to biggest holiness. Holiness is a pursuit of you and God. But in context of scripture, we, we know that dating is for uh, not a good time, but for a good legacy. And so I'll use Ephesians 5 that talks about marriage and a man and his wife. And it says we're supposed to love our wife like Christ loves the church. And so we're supposed to be a people who love, which we've defined love as uh, an unselfish decision to seek someone's highest good even at your own expense. 
an unselfish decision to seek someone's highest good even at your own expense, which means love is essentially sacrificial. So you're supposed to be a self-sacrificing, boundary-making, leading, protector, right? So almost like Jesus, basically, right? That you're supposed to be the perfect man, both tender and tough, right? Tender and tough, a, a great mix where Jesus is, is tough on religious people. He's tough on people who are uh, living in a life of, um, uh, of, of fallacy and yet gentle enough to bring them in. Right? To take care of them, to see their brokenness and bring them in. And so you in a relationship are supposed to be a leader to see the gentleness of the people around you. And don't take that as a way to punch, punch down, as the world would say. But instead, self-sacrificially learn to lift them up, see potential, and to speak to that. I'd like to uh, piggyback off of that. He kept mentioning this term. He mentioned it like three or four times. But protector, I think you've all heard that. I know for me it was like, oh, that was the first thing that came to my mind. That's like a basic level instinct. But... To go further with that, like, yes, you're trying to protect your significant other, this woman that the Lord has blessed you with. You're trying to protect her from, like, getting hurt, but also you're a protector of her heart. That applies. So Proverbs mentions that, you know, protect your heart for all things flow from it. One of those things that you're helping and contributing to protect your heart from is also yourself. Um, and I, th- I find that really important. That's something I've had to really learn in my relationship as well, is that I get to team up with her. She also gets to team up with me, but I really do feel as a man, you know, especially as she grew in like trying to trust me more and all these things, I really had to be on guard and careful um, because I easily could have been the number one thing that was actually drawing damage to her heart rather than protecting it when that is part of your job. Not just from a bad guy who wants to come, you know, whatever, but also you're protecting her heart from you as well. Yeah, I'm not going to, I won't add much to that other than the scripture that Aaron was referencing. If you're writing it down, Ephesians 5, <coughs> sorry, Ephesians 5, uh, let's see, it's at 20, 25. Ephesians 5, 25 through 33, write that down. It's relating to how we're supposed to treat wives as Christ loves the church is how we're supposed to treat our wives. So I won't add more to that. And I'd also just add that one of the, you said what what is the man's role? And one of the things when Jenny and I, who I'm married to now, I'm just saying my wife's Jenny. So when we were dating, one of the most beautiful things we did together was sat and prayed together. We prayed for each other. We pray, I prayed that I would be the man that God needed me to be for her. And she prayed the same thing on her behalf. It was beautiful. And just praying for the future and praying what God would have in our relationship. Because I know that you guys aren't married yet. You're either dating or want to be dating. And those are things that it's, it's a wonderful time is to go through God's word together or to even sincerely just pray together um, as a man. Um, this next question is one that kind of like came up in a lot of ways, sort of repeated. Uh, this person put it this way. They said, what's the difference between lust and attractiveness? How do we prevent feel- the feeling of being attracted to someone from turning into lust? So there's like a natural sexual impulse that we all have, a nat- natural drive and attraction, all of that. Where's the line or what's kind of the difference between just that being a thing versus where does it cross over into lust or something that's not God-honoring, not God's design for us? How do you kind of discern that? Um, <laughs> yeah, um, the classic text to go to for this is Matthew 5, um, when Jesus is giving his Sermon on the Mount. Um, and 
He says in verses 27, 28, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And so he's like quoting um, the Old Testament and what he's getting at in the Sermon on the Mount is like, here's the law, but here's like the ideal underneath. Like here's like what we're really striving for. So you've heard it say, don't commit adultery. Um, But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman uh, lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And there is like a difference between... um, just noticing beautiful people um, because every human is beautiful, especially um, as recognized in God's kingdom. I know that because you're all here. Um, But so there's a difference between noticing someone like, wow, that person like, hey, man, look look at you, dude, you're cut. And (laughs) or, or like, and then on the other spectrum, like, oh, man, look at like her. She's like gorgeous. But like, the, the step is when you, like, look at that person and keep looking, and you just play that little movie in your head, where all of a sudden, she, all you're um, treating her has is a, like, object for your own physical pleasure, sexual pleasure. Um, and again, it's not, like, bad to notice the beauty of someone, but it's when, like, you look at that person and just play that little movie in your head. Um, and that's like possibly like the base of it, and of course, like it can escalate up to adultery. But the root of it is just looking at that person, and it's without their consent. Like imagine that too. Like that person, they're just trying to do their own thing, um, and without their consent, you're using them for you, um, and it's just not honoring that person because um, we, you know, we are we're a temple, but like that's God's temple too. Like, she's God's temple. Um, yeah, it's just that little movie in your head. Um, it's like the root of it. Yeah. Um, earlier this morning, we had a, this question, I think, kind of phrased differently. And Liam had the wisdom of ten grandfathers. Um, and he was like, um, the difference between those two, you know, attractiveness and all that stuff is normal because we are sexual beings. I mean, we, we're given a sex drive for a purpose, for a reason, all these things are God glorifying. Praise God for sex drive. Praise God for those things. It's amazing. The question is what we use those things for out of context, right, where that drive is meant to be something that really pushes you to uh, love your wife, love that person well, because uh, you're supposed to be giving of yourself so you can give one to another in that context well. But when it's taken out of context where you begin to see this person beyond uh, uh, the image of God, and then you begin to put on that person the image of just, uh, and I use this term, they're like pieces of chicken from KFC, thighs and legs and all that. Like this, that's how you begin to think about them, right? You bring that down, you put the desire that God has put for uh, uh, a good thing, and you take it and you twist it and it becomes wrong. Right, so when it, that attractiveness is great, but it becomes lust and becomes bad when you put it out of context and you take the image of God and you make it about you and not about God, because ultimately, we exist for the glory of God, and whether that's for us in loving our sister or loving one another well, right, and how we like Joey has put that put it that way, playing an image in our mind or whatever. If it's not something that is, it's like in Philippians, a good report that is pure. Right, that is faithful, that is true, then we are now treating what God has given to us as a gift 
and then the gift begins to hurt us. I think uh, Pastor Siri talked about that. Then we use that gift, and then we sometimes that gift can hurt us because we use it the wrong way. So that's the line between lust and then the attractiveness. I, th- I think you guys answered it really well. I mean, I mean, just even backing up a little bit, when JD and I were kids, I mean, you didn't have the internet, you didn't have social media, you didn't have these things, and yet these these feelings were still there. I mean, obviously it's in Matthew 5 for a reason because it was there then too. None of, none of this is new, but I do think it's harder and harder for you guys than w- we even had it because the objectification of women is just getting harder and it's just it's just in front of you all the time and as a dad of three girls and if you any of you have sisters you want to you think about it the way that they were saying like you want to protect your sister as a a sis, like that's your sister in Christ that is your sister my daughters i want them treated like they're they are the princesses that god made them to be the i mean they're not you know what i mean like they're just they're my girls i don't want them to be objects and so I get that as a guy, though, because I had the same feelings and same sinful feelings when I was in high school, college, and we still have that no matter how old you get. I mean, these are just things that, that are, I would say, normal sinful behavior. Um, but I think your answers are spot on, where if it's, not, if it's not about looking at them through the eyes of God, it's actually just making them objects for yourself, is that difference between lust and looking at God's amazing creation of, you know, God, you did great right there. She's gorgeous. You know, that's fantastic. Well done. Good on you, Lord. You can do that. Big yeah. fan. That Big fan fantastic right there. But it's, that, it's, a, it's a wonderful creation. But if you take it beyond that to, for something of your own selfishness and take it away from God, I love that answer because it's, it's spot on. Then it's, that's, that's the difference between lust and looking at something that's just absolutely beautiful. Well, the, the only thing I'd add to that really, really quickly, too, is that that becomes your testimony, and that becomes the thing when you say, well, I'm a Christian, she'll be like, there's no way you're a Christian if you treat me like that. And I think just being aware of your witness to other people and women that you see at school or young women you see at school and tr- treat them a certain way, like how you live your life and how you prove your love for who God is, how you treat people um, in those moments, and how you, if you objectify them, it's like, so we, so you're a Christian? Like, that's going to throw people completely. And so I think in that context, too, just be aware of, like, what you say and what you do matters and what it says in Scripture in word and in deed. Uh, what you say, people are, are listening. People are watching. And so you go, you're the person walking in the Christian club at school. You're the person who's here at a worship night. You're the person who's doing these Christian things. You're going on mission trips. You're, you're serving people. And they go, like, I'm super confused because how you treated that young woman at the party is very different from how you acted on Sunday. And you may be the only person that the experience who actually knows the Lord and goes, I want nothing to do with God because of how I was treated. So keep that in mind, too. I could add one little thing also. Um, in uh, Genesis 3, once Adam and Eve eat from the tree, um, God is informing all involved parties of, like, the consequences of their actions. Um, you know, he tells the snake, hey, like, you're just going to eat dirt. Um, and also there's going to be someone from the woman that's going to, like, defeat you. Then he moves on to the woman, um, and he says, I'm focusing on the second half of this part here. He says, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. And this part is what I'm bringing up. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will actually, this translation doesn't help this well, but um, your desire will be for your husband, and his desire will be to rule over you. Um, 
or here in Genesis 3.16, the last time we heard of like humans ruling over something so far in the story um, was the, uh, humans ruling over the animals, the beasts of the field. And so now a part of the consequence of the fall in our broken nature is that um, there's a core part of the human condition where there is a desire we have to fight um, to not treat women as beasts of the field, That's good. as animals. Um, man, that was like really powerful for me because it, I mean, just this whole part of scripture, but um, it's like a core part of the human condition. And uh, the Bible develops this like from here on forward. Um, Abraham and Sarah um, in Genesis 16 scheme to sexually abuse their female servant, slave. Um, and man, the Bible's like chock full of sex scandals. Um, and so like if that verse doesn't convince you that that's like a part of the human condition, like the rest of the Bible will tell you it is. Um, and so like, yeah, that little movie in your head, it's like, it's like treating her like she's an animal, a beast of the field. All right, so this next question uh, is actually a question that I've heard in a lot of, phrased a lot of different ways over the years, but I actually have heard it a lot. Uh, so I'm just going to read it. This guy asks, he says, the Bible talks a lot about circumcision. Is it bad if I'm not circumcised? Do I need to get circumcised to be a Christian? And so I, I think kind of two questions. First, I would say, uh, what's the deal with circumcision in the Bible? Why is that such a hot topic? And then second, for our guys who aren't, our buddies who aren't, is that something they need to worry about? Um, how should we think about circumcision as laid out in the Bible? Um, also, because um, time is of the essence, I'm going to say one, two at the most answers, and we'll continue on. So who wants to jump in? Take it. I can do it. You know, it's, uh, what's interesting, actually, I was just talking about um, Abraham and Hagar and Sarah. Um, God's response to them sexually abusing Hagar is circumcision. Um, and there's like, a, I'm not going to like go through the whole thing. Um, but a part of what's going on here is like um, circumcision. There's like a theology behind circumcision and like a cultural thing behind it. The theology behind it is it's... Um, an act of God's mercy um, and an act of his judgment um, where like the thing that Abraham used to abuse that woman is what is in question. And the circumcision is an act of um, punishment, judgment for that act as well as God's mercy. Uh, because it's also through Abraham's seed that that seed of the woman will come one day to crush the head of the snake. Um, What's also going on in here is um, the circumcision is the sign of the covenant, um, the Abrahamic covenant. Um, and anyone that who wants to follow uh, the God of Israel can get circumcised um, and become a part of the covenant family. And so that's why it's like a big deal. Um, long story short, just like jump right ahead to like Jesus and Acts. Um, this was actually like a huge topic in the first century, um, the first people in the Jesus movement. And there's like, I don't know it off the top of my head, but there's a part in Acts that like, um, and Galatians is about this. It's actually in a lot of places, the New Testament, where um, basically like you don't, like you don't have to be circumcised. Um, Jesus is here, he's doing a new thing. Um, you can still do it if you want, um, but it's not required anymore to be a part of God's covenant family. That's good. 
um, that's that's basically it. And in in a nutshell, he said again, in, it's an, in the Old Testament, it's a sign of a covenant between Abraham and his people, right? And here we are in the New Testament, this side of the cross. Uh, you do not need to be circumcised as a sign of you being with God. The bigger thing is circumcision of the heart. What's the sign that you are living like Jesus, living and loving like Jesus? It's not by posturing, by showing up at church. That's great. But ultimately, is your heart given to God? That's a big question. Is your heart circumcised? That's a true sign of the covenant between you and God. So physical circumcision, great. It, there's uh, medical benefits of that for sure. Uh, and if you don't do that, no pressure. It's all good. Just be clean, all right? This is just 100% where we are as guys, right? But the reality is that, that, that that's the whole deal about circumcision. Um, next question. Cool. Next question. This guy asked, when I'm married, is everything I want to do with my wife fine? Is there still lust or bad things that I have to avoid? So is marriage the kind of like, all right, go have fun, whatever you want. Or are there still bounds around that? With your wife. It's a good question. It's a great question. The answer to that is yes and no. Uh, so the answer is yes. Once you are married, there is nothing that you can do with your wife that is off the table. Silence in the room. No hand claps. Praise God. Here's the other part. The Bible says in Hebrews, I think it's chapter 6, that says the marriage bed can be, should be undefiled. Which means there's a way that you can, even in marriage, defile your marriage bed. If you are, like we talked about in the first question, uh, Imaging, sorry, second question, imaging this person as an animal and trying to subdue them to things that are not comfortable for them, things that they don't make them feel uh, safe or, or uh, loving or kind or gentle. In that moment, that love has formed and become lust. That's why it's possible to, love, uh, to lust over your wife. So the question is, can you, is everything good for you when you're in the context of marriage? Yes, but that's why you have to. This is a skill you need to grow right now. Learn to communicate. Communication is the lifeblood of every relationship. No is okay. Say it with me. No is okay. Learn to take no for an answer. That's totally fine and healthy. Because you will not force things in, in, in any relationship, be it a work environment, be it a, a relationship with a, a young lady or your wife, just because you want it to go one way. You need to take and learn to accept no's. And so once you've had that clear communication in, your, in the context of your relationship, like it says in Hebrews, then you're able to, one, you've talked to your wife, you love your wife with understanding, you learn who she is. Genesis 1 talks about that, that Adam knew his wife, meaning he knew her sexually, but that's with the connotation of knowing her personhood, her character, who she was, what would work for her, what doesn't work for her. What happens is for us as guys, like Pastor Jason re referred to, we've taken in all these images. I just talked about Sneeko, Adam 22. Uh, what's that guy who just, got, who just got arrested and taken a, thank you, Andrew Tate, when the tater tots, right? Don't be a tater tot. Like all those things, we have all those images in our mind. We've taken in all this pornography, and so we think all these things apply. They do not apply. Many of the people in this porn industry have been abused and are being abused, right? That's, that's the reality. There's a few things I could reference. I don't want to misquote them, but they're documentaries by Christian agencies 
to talk about people who've come out of that industry and how they were for, they were abused or entered into that space because of abuse in their homes, and then now in this they're in this other place and they just blank out and do all these things because that's what they've learned. But you need to learn to say learn to say no, not only from that person but even in your own mind. What is the thing that's loving that's going to reflect the image of God on this person? I thought that was a great answer. I just but I would, I would just want to echo from the beginning. I mean. Part of that question is the yes as well, though the answer is, because you've heard this, but sincerely, sex is great in marriage. Sex is amazing, wonderful, beautiful, loving, because we love our wives as husbands. It's incredible. But yes, if you turned it into objectification again, yeah, no. I know you can't force things, and that get, that's abusive. You, that, that's not okay. I mean, there's a lot of things that are not okay. But there's a lot that's just awesome and amazing about sex and marriage. God designed this. It's incredible. And that's, I mean, it's all over God's word is why this is such a beautiful, wonderful thing. But, yes, to answer the question, I thought, Aaron, you did a great job answering that, though, because that, that was the context as well is asking are there limits? And the answer is absolutely. Yeah, and full disclosure, you guys have heard my testimony. If you've not, very quickly, I, well, I again, I, I grew up, and after my high school, I spent about six to seven months, right, where I was out going to clubs, sleeping with prostitutes. So you can imagine what that does for me as a man, learning how to have normal sexual relations with my wife. Now, again, like I said, I've been married five years on, on Thursday last week, retraining my mind in how to have conversation, to ask. I don't want you to have to go through that dynamic. It's awkward when I'm dating my wife and you have to disclose your body count, okay? I don't even know what my body count was, and that's shameful. That's rough. To a person who's never had sex ever, and I have to explain all these dynamics of who and what and why, and she can't feel confident because she's like, wait, what if it's like this person? How do I do this? And you, you can't have the freedom of exploring who you are in the intimacy. Now, intimacy is not sex, right? But having intimacy to learn each other what you like, what you don't like, don't do that for, never again. Like having the freedom to have your own, even inside. You guys have the most intimate inside jokes with each other on things that I have no idea about. You guys be laughing and giggling with one another, right? But to have those moments where you can just know by a look. Like we said in Genesis 1, knowing Adam knew his wife. To know each other. Like you want to have those open intimacies, but the devil would want to steal that from you. Your flesh would want that to, to take that from you so you don't have the peace of God in that context. So fight for your joy by living a holy life. Trust God to give you what he's going to give you through that. That's good. Um, okay, so this next question uh, is a really interesting one. This guy says, uh, if I use porn as a substitute so that I don't have sex, isn't porn a good tool? What's wrong with it? So if it's like, oh, I won't have sex with my girlfriend, I'll just use porn instead. Is that a right way of thinking about it? What's wrong with it? How would you respond? I think just initially what we've been talking about, the objectification and seeing these images that are not real. And as Aaron discussed too, just the abuse that takes place in that industry and the objectification in our minds and the, fan the fantasies in our minds too, that to use that as something that's going to stop you from having sex with... I 
I don't believe that that's a possibility. If anything, that might further you into that realm of wanting to, you know, if, if it's if it's it's not that bad the first time, and I only look at it once in a while, and it becomes every day, and becomes something very common, to the point that it's it's insatiable because it's how God's wired us. And so to to play into that becomes an excuse or, or maybe a, a reason to look at porn is not healthy, not just in that moment, but for, but for long term as well. And my encouragement in that is like to be able to, the images you see in those things you can't undo. Uh, our brain is is wired to to retain so much, and you can think of the things in your mind that you've seen, and and that's hard, um, and that's something that's really going to in some ways scar you in how you interact with your girlfriend, your future wife, um, those the those relationships you're going to to have in in the future, and seeing people and making it so that it's like. It, it's only going to further the objectification of even your girlfriend or future wife where it's like these are the images that are stuck in your mind. The expectations are unrealistic because it's not an actual relationship. It's, it's a visual demonstration of something God's meant to be in the perfection in that, that time of marriage, not something for you just to see in the moment and go, okay, I've satiated my sexual desire in that moment. I've given into it. Um, and then to continue on that path is only to make it harder for you down the road in those relationships to talk about intimacy to be in an intimate relationship and not feel awkward or go, well, that's not my experience when I watched it on this one website because this is what, I, what I've always seen and trained my brain. And so any habit you create, good or bad, has that effect where it's going to create something for you that is not only unrealistic, but incredibly dangerous for you in those relationships that you go, man, like that's not how I thought it was. Like This isn't the same way it's portrayed when these people are acting in these, these films that are done and put on the internet. So. Uh, I'll, I'm going to chime in on this one too. I, I would say, like, uh, I think it's safe to assume most of the guys in this room probably have some sort of personal history with pornography. Like, that's just the world we live in. Statistically, by the time you're nine years old, you've seen your po first porn. Um, and, and I would wager that if that's still an ongoing thing in your life, the stuff that you're looking at now is probably way more intense than where you started. Um, and that's just part of what happens. Actually, it's called, uh, what is it called? The, uh, I keep wanting to say confirmation bias, but the law of diminishing returns is what that is, is that suddenly you have to uh, seek novelty. You need shock, and so things get more intense as they go because uh, what used to be thrilling suddenly is demystified, and so you need to reach for the next slightly more thrilling thing, the more tantalizing thing. And so it takes you, it really literally rewires your brain and takes you to um, more extreme places than you ever would go. And then the other thing is, and, and this is kind of like happening in, in real time, is that our brains were never designed um, to see that volume of beautiful naked women. Like if you think about the history of the world, like not, not even in, in Christianity, you think about like a, a king who had a harem, like you could hop on your phone today and see 10 times as many naked women as he would see in his lifetime. Um, and that's just in your pocket right now. And so like we kind of, we're, we're kind of on the front lines of what porn does to our brain and how it um, changes how we can experience intimacy. And so I would just say like, proceed, not, not even proceed with caution, just like don't, don't risk it. It's not worth it for your brain. It's not going to take you anywhere good. Anyways, um, uh, this guy asks, I love this. This is really practical. He says, pro tips for planning a good date? Um, any, any thoughts, any expertise on how to plan a good date? <laughs> this one hit a nerve. Guys are like, how do we do it? How do we do it? Uh, the one that Jen remembers the most of all the dates was I took her on a scavenger hunt. So I created a scavenger hunt. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not self-seeking. So I planned really cool things that she would like. So we went to a museum. 
and we Sounds saw. Sounds like you loved it. Like Monet, it was great, and Van Gogh, and I was like, "That's really cool." Not really for me, but she loved it, and we went to the beach, and I started with Starbucks, and I had all these little riddles, and she had little clues, and I just I went ahead to all these spots and handed them kind of like an Amazing Race type thing, and handed them another one, and at the end of it, I mean, literally. She's like, I want to marry you. And I was like, cool, let's do it. No. Yes, please. Um, but it was, she's she like, how are you going to top this date? After this. And I was like, oh, no. I don't well, know how I'm going to top this date. But that was, I had a lot of fun doing it, too, because you put effort into it. You thought about it, or I thought about it. And I, I went ahead and planned out and mapped out things that she would have fun with. And I liked The Amazing Grace and thought this would be kind of a fun little thing to go do together. And it was a blast. Anyway. That, that one was fun. It's all about thinking ahead. Well thought out is what your girl really wants to see that you thought about it. Yeah. I would, oh, go ahead, Jess. I would say j just, too, that as you get to know your girlfriend and future wife in, that, in those moments, it's like, like you said, too, like the time spent planning something really special. And another encouragement I heard at a wedding prior to my own marriage was keep, keep dating your wife. Um, it's such a beautiful thing because we can kind of get lost in the moment of like, man, like we're dating, we're in love in the honeymoon phase. And as life continues on, like to continue dating, to seek those moments where you get to spend time and know more and more about your your wife. Or in this case, your girlfriend, if you just started dating, like being in that place where it's like know, know the things that they love, know the things that they care about, pray with one another, encourage each other. Um, those little things go a long way, but keep dating and make that a point each week. So it's not like, oh, man, we haven't spent time in you know, six weeks, it should be every week you have that time. And, and I know for Pauline and I spending time each week, and sometimes it's just getting coffee across the street in between meetings here at Calvary, but we'll, or we'll get dinner on Friday night, or we'll spend a day on Saturday. But having that be something that every week you spend time together, so it becomes part of that rhythm where you, you're able to listen and just spend time, and just having quality time together is so important. Um, and there might be things where, like, I don't really, maybe this isn't my favorite thing to do. It doesn't matter because it's out of love. You do the things you do for that, for that, that person in your life that you care about. Yeah, I'd say the opposite, though. Like, bad date ideas. Like, let's just go sit at a movie. Like, I know that's all in all the movies that we watch, but, like, you're not talking. So you're just sitting there for two hours. Now, it could be cool. Like, I go to the movies with my wife, but it's not a really cool date. That's not really well thought out. Think about something where it's you've thought about it. Take her to the beach. Take her somewhere that she doesn't know. I'm taking Jen out right after this. She doesn't know where we're going to dinner. It doesn't matter where we go so long as it's somewhat of a mystery. And it's like, all right, I'll pick her up. She's getting ready. I'm going to pick her up. I'm going to open the car door for her. We've been married 23 years. I open the car door for her. It's a real date. It's not something that we've, like, that's not something that you kind of really do. But when you've been married 23 years, man, open the car door for my wife is like, oh, this is so cool. And then we're going to go to dinner. I haven't told her where we're going. That's, just make it a fun mystery. Make it fun. Make it an adventure. Life's, man, life's short. Go have an adventure with the girl that God's going to bring in your life, and God will probably bring in multiple girls in your life to find out who it is you're supposed to be. Not like, oh, i got to find the right girl. Find out who God wired you to be, and so that then, therefore, you're going to find the girl that goes, yep, you're the right guy. Like, get, you got to get yourself right first. Amen. I'll preach. Uh, this next guy asked this very practical Good question. I think a lot of us have been in this spot. How do I know that it's okay to go in for the kiss? What are the, what are the telltale signs? How would you think about that? <laughs> Jacob. <laughs> Jacob. We've got an <laughs> Jacob. Jacob got bars on this. We have go. an expert panel. Here we go. 
closer to your mouth. The answer is really, really easy. <clears throat> the answer is really easy. Trust me. It's 2023, right? Correct me on that. 2023. You ask. You ask. When I asked Sierra if I could kiss her, we had been friends for nine months. We had gone on a couple of dates. She hit me. I literally sang to her. She literally hit me with a no. Bars. She hit me with a no, in which I had to honor. I had to honor that, right? I've talked to many, many just really good friends of mine who are females since then who genuinely believe that's exactly what they would want or have preferred when guys just kind of go in for that kiss. You know, uh, it, the story could be different for someone who's older, but I chose to do it that way um, because I believe that is a growing trend that you do, I think we do as men need to hop on. It is classy, it's not as spontaneous or maybe, you don't catch them off guard as what much, but if you catch them off guard in the wrong way and they didn't want you to do that, but they just play along, that's also tough. You have to be really careful with that. So my answer is just you ask. If you feel like it's the right time, you ask them and then get the response. Ditto. Ditto. That, that's what I did too. I, I asked before I kissed her the first time. It's worth it. Yeah. Um, wow. <laughs> Praise God. It is, it is this mic. That's not cool. So um, I, I think one of those things, yes, they definitely have the, the idea of asking. Uh, um, and I think, honestly, it's, it's when you get physical, things get very complicated very quickly. Okay? So there's that just a reality, right? So there's asking, and you're asking because you're lusting. There's asking, and it's, there's all kinds of dynamics going on. But I would say if you're going into that space, you need to know where this relationship is going. What's the clarity in this relationship? What's the defined purpose of this relationship? Are you planning on saying, like, could you uh, honestly talk to her then say, kiss your daughter, and he'd be fine with that because you know you're trying to get married. But if it's like there's no clarity of the relationship and you're just everyone, I asked you, can we kiss? Great, you break up. Can I ask you to kiss? You break up. There's no actual purpose or plan in your relationship, then I would say if you're not ready for that responsibility, Right, take the smoke of a whole other person, right, and their uh, their life and what they want to do, uh, their purposes and all those things. Meaning, are you ready to live self-sacrificially for that person? Then don't even ask. If you're unsure of where you're trying to be, go like you're going this relationship, like don't waste her time, don't waste your time. It's better for you to spend the time getting to know one another, and then. Right, maybe your first kiss is at, at the at the altar. I'm not saying that has to be that way at all, but I'm saying you have to have clarity in your relationship so that when you do ask and have that thing, there's a safety that she knows this man is safe. This man knows what he wants for me, what he, he's for me, and not just for what I'm for. Right, all those things, and uh, he has my best interest in mind. So when she does say yes, know that he, she's let you into a space that you have to mentally. And uh, physically keep that well. That, in my context, because I, of my uh, where I, how I grew up and all the things I went into, I thought kissing was just automatic. You date someone, you kiss. You date someone, you hold hands. You date someone, you do all these things. But that's not the case. Because in all those things, I was not ready for that. Right? My mind was wired differently. And so I, need to I needed to learn those things even when I was dating my wife. Right? So... Actually, she was like, we're not kissing. And then I went back to my guys and my friends, and I was like, she said she's not kissing, and I said, I can't date and not kiss. 
Where does that come from? Where did that come from in my mind? Because of my watching porn, because of my sleeping with these ladies. Like in my mind, it was rewired. And yet the reality is she put a standard for me to hold up to so I could be better. And because of that standard, that helped me rewire my mind in our dating. Honestly, it really did help me because now there was, there was a measure to rise up to so I could now help uh, learn to love her well. Can I piggyback off of that really quick? I think that's really, really valuable because porn does change your makeup. Any sort of you know, promiscuity before marriage completely changes your makeup. Porn, sleeping with prostitutes, whatever you can think of, literally trains you to worship what the world says is beautiful and forget what God says is beautiful. So the fact that Aaron, right, like uh, an older version of Jacob would have gone, oh, man, this girl doesn't want to kiss me. I'm not even really attracted to her anymore. That's because I am, I am now completely clueless, clueless, skewed with what I believe is even beautiful anymore. If a woman is willing to say, no, I don't want to kiss you yet, I'm not quite ready. That's not the decision I want to make today. A man of God would actually see that as attractive, beautiful. That's a woman who's confident. That's a woman who knows what she needs, what's good for her, and what's healthy. Some of you think a woman who says yes to you every time you ask for anything is beautiful. That's not, I don't believe that's what God says is beautiful. So when you go through, if you are addicted to porn, whatever it is, and I can, I can speak on this for myself as well in my kind of growing seasons, that retraining that he talked about is hard. You will suffer. You will suffer. Because when you find a beautiful woman of God, that retraining process becomes one of the hardest things you'll ever go through. You can kind of nip that in the butt now. You can work toward that now. Um, there's a lot of active decisions you can make or choices you can make for that. But yes, trust me, if you just wait until you find the perfect godly woman to like retrain your brain, you will suffer. It doesn't mean you can't do it, but it will be so hard. I promise you it will be really hard. Um, so uh, we'll end this plane. We have one more question, and then we'll pray and uh, conclude our time. So let me uh, read this. This is a really good question. This guy says, uh, my girlfriend has had bad experiences with guys in the past. How can I show her that I'm safe and that she can trust me? Uh, which is, um, th this isn't the first time I've heard things like this. I think it's kind of a sad commentary on the state of things that like the bar is like, is he going to date rape me? Is he going to hurt me? Um, is he going to manipulate me? Like that that's where it is. Um, but what, what would you say to that? If you're trying to come uh, into the life of somebody who's been hurt in the past, like how, how do we proceed? How do we show that we're steady, that we're safe, uh, that we do want what's best for her? I think one of the biggest things is just asking and communicating, having those questions and dialogue with her. And so if you're in a relationship like that or you end up in a relationship in a similar situation like that, to sit and ask those questions, to take the time and just and simply to listen and, and to pray with and to encourage and I think to be able to pray over her, pray over that relationship and uh, give it time. I think there's sometimes this sense of, I need to be in a relationship. I think especially as guys as in high school ministry, I've witnessed over many, many years where it's like, my friend's in a relationship, I need to be in a relationship. There's almost this like sense of like urgency, like it's, I have to do it now because everyone, everyone else is dating or it seems like everyone else is dating. So in a relationship like that where there's been 
a lot of heartache and a lot of brokenness in previous relationships for the young woman. Um, I would say to, to step up, and it sounds simple, and I don't mean to sound cliche, but it's like a young woman's looking for a young man. She, she's not looking for a boy to date. And so I think part of that is maturity that we need to take on as men to say, this is what I'm going to do in order to kind of create this uh, safe space for her to be in the, this relationship, to take time, to listen, uh, and I think even to, to um, be able to listen to what she's saying, but then pray over those things too and say, I, this is not who I am either, but this is something I, I want to be able to walk on this journey with you and kind of shepherd her through that healing process. Um, but a lot of that's prayer, a lot of that's listening and being attentive to the details in that relationship so, so that she's aware that this is not something that's going to be, be repeated by you. Um, so improving yourself in that way, but then, um, again, just walking her through that process of healing is, is crucial. And again, for any of you guys who are like in this place where it's like, yeah, but all my friends are doing it. You don't need to copy what other people are doing in your life. You need to kind of create that for yourself too and allow yourself to mature in that. Again, these 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 young women in your life are becoming women. You need need to become a man in that as well and expect to, to lead in a relationship that's going to honor her and honor the Lord and all that you do. Those are good words. I mean, I have a lot. To, I, know, I know we only have a little bit of time, but I would say two things. One is uh, you know, the Lord calls us to be holy as he is holy, right? And holiness is us being set apart. We know this. Set apart from what? And so I'm just saying, as we've talked up on here about being a man, the world tells us one thing about being a man. Actually, they tell us all kinds of things. And if you watch most shows and TV movies and stuff, by the time you get to my age, most guys my age look like the stupid dad or the stupid person or whatever they are. They make fun of men. I don't get that because men are supposed we, to we're men. And, and I love that I'm designed in the image of God just as much as my wife and my daughters and um, and we're set apart as men to be holy as he is holy. So, therefore, I don't have to look at what the world defines me as a man and all the pressures that the world wants me to be pressured by to be a man. Like, I really just need to actually follow what God wants me to be as a man. And, therefore, God will continue to work on my heart and my life. And then I know when I just finally made that decision, because high school was tough. I didn't see a bunch of people getting married in high school. Actually, quite frankly, most people got married later in college. Because, guys, we had a lot of growing up still to do. And the reality was, that's just the deal. We have to mature. And maturity just happens at different places at different times. And for me, it finally happened somewhere in college where God got a hold of my life and my heart. And I decided I was going to follow him and not the world and, and literally just go do something and seek, him after, uh, seek after him and make him the Lord of my life. And then it was amazing how then God brought Jen into my life. It was fantastic. So I know the question was, how, how do I make sure that this, this girl feel safe. That's part of being a man. Love is patient. Love is kind. Right? We're going to be there to protect and guard that, that girl's heart. Be that. Be that to her. Man, it's amazing to see what happens in your life when those things start going on that way. And I would just, I, I know that you shared Drew at the very beginning, because I know that Aaron has shared very openly about things and different stuff in our lives and everybody in this room. I would imagine that if not physically in your mind, you've probably gone too far, many of us in the room. We have a God who loves and forgives. And as Jacob shared and as we've all shared, you can start over. So please don't feel shame as you walk out of here going, all oh, those guys. We, I don't think any of us up here had it ever perfect and still don't. Right? We're all works in progress. But I love that you guys are asking great questions about how to be men 
and men who love Christ, who love the girl or the woman that God's going to bring into your life really, really well. So I'm proud of you, and I'm glad you guys are asking great questions. Real quick. Um, yeah, going off of First uh, Corinthians 13, uh, 4 through 7, I'll just read it real quick. This is a point a pastor made um, in a sermon I heard once, and he basically like broke down First Corinthians 13, 4 to 7, um, talking about what love is, and then just like bit by bit asking yourself, when did I not do this in the last seven days? Um, to anyone, really. But I think for this question, I think it helps to like think of like, if your girlfriend is like in a scenario where like you're trying to help her feel safe, um, I think this could help. But I'll read it real quick, and then I'll like uh, read the, the little things by it. But love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. So love is patient and kind. Um, when did when was the last time that you lost your patience with her or were unkind to her? Love does not envy. When was the last time um, you were unable to celebrate her good fortune because you were so self-focused? Love does not boast. Who did you talk, when was the last time that you talked too much about yourself um, in front of her? Love is not rude or arrogant. Um, who do you think you're better than so you treat them in ways that violate their dignity? Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. Um, when was the last time that you ignored her priorities for your own? And then the result of that is causing you to lose your temper with that person um, when their priorities weren't yours. And now you're bitter and resentful for that. Love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. Um, in what ways does your behavior show that you choose to live this way? Uh, love rejoices with the truth. What would it look like to celebrate the truth of who you really are left to your own devices in light of the love of Jesus? Love bears all things. When, did last, when was the last time you backed out on her? Love believes all things. When was the last time you gave up believing in her and hoping for her? Love hopes all things. Who are you not around for when they needed you? Or when was the last time you were around her when she needed you? Uh, and love endures all things. When was the last time that you failed someone? It's kind of a bummer, but I have nothing else to say to that. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. Um, I'll add to that and just say, like, when, when we talk about uh, trustworthiness and, like, how do we prove that we're trustworthy uh, or earn trust, um, I would say if you just like holding your head, like who do you trust most in your life? Maybe it's a person, maybe it's uh, several people, uh, but odds are that those people have behavior that is consistent and predictable. Um, and that doesn't mean that they can't be fun or spontaneous. It means that you have been around them enough that you feel like you know what you're going to get. 
um, and that their words match their actions. I think when people lose your trust is when um, they do something that's like wildly out of character or when you like never feel like you can get a hold of who they are because they act this way in this situation and then they turn into this way in another situation and they say one thing and they do another thing. And I think the same is very true in relationships that you, for you, if you want to be a trustworthy man in this woman's life, uh, your words have to match your actions and you have to be consistent and predictable. Again, that doesn't mean that you can't be fun and spontaneous, but it means that she feels safe to say, okay, I know what I'm getting with this guy. I know who he is. He's, he's acted consistently this way all the way through, and I, I don't really have doubts that um, that's not who he really is. Yeah. Um, well, let's do this. Uh, first, let me just say, guys, thanks for just bringing real questions um, and not kind of keeping it at the surface. Like, thanks for like wanting to dive in with us. And guys, thanks for um, just your wisdom, for uh, your willingness to go there and answer these questions. Uh, hopefully, we can do more things like this in the future. I think that this is a really awesome uh, evening that we've had. And so, uh, if, I could, if I could just ask, uh, Jason, would you just close the night by praying uh, for these young men, for uh, the men up here on the stage? And then um, I'll say, uh, that'll be it for the service. There's nothing programmed left. So if you want to stick around here and talk to one of us or talk to each other, or if you want to head back to the high school room, uh, that's fine. The ladies are expecting people to be rolling through. Um, both are fine. So. All right. Well, Father God, we just thank you, Lord. I thank you for this evening that we could come together, God, to ask really good questions about the design that you had for us as men. God, from the beginning, uh, Lord, most of what we talked about tonight are things that you have created in us. It's things that you want us to be and do and do really well. And so, Father, we want to be men, God, who are set apart. Father, we want to be men that are holy as you are holy. Father, we want to follow after you, follow after what you have asked and called us in our lives. Lord, I pray for each and every guy in this room, Lord, that you would just call them to you and draw them closer to you and show them what it means to be men who follow deeply after you, Lord. Father, we thank you uh, for the way that you've created and designed us, Lord. I thank you that we have other men around us that can hold us accountable, that we can ask really good questions like this as we uh, are growing and maturing as young men who are going to grow into um, guys that continue to follow after you, Lord. So I pray your blessing over each and every guy in this room, Lord. I pray that uh, Father, if there's some guys here that are really just hurting or struggling, that they would be open with some of the guys up here or if there's some other um, small group leader that they want to talk to, Father, or some other, somebody else in their life, God, I just pray that they would reach out and ask good questions and just um, continue, God, to get into your word and grow closer to you, Father. Lord, thanks for the vulnerability of the guys up here um, as we're still growing and, and um, learning who it, what it means to follow just passionately after you. Father, we love you, and we just commit this time to you. We thank you for the girls in the other room as well, and help us to love them as we walk back into that room. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Calvary HSM podcast. We would love if you could connect with us on social media using the handle at CalvaryHSM805 on Instagram or going to our website, calvarywestlake.org slash HSM. We always have fun things going on, and we want you to be a part.